uh, Daniel stood at the back or at the door going out and had some tracks for the ones that did raise their hand. And we had quite a few stop and talk to us and we gave them tracks uh, about what they did. So that's a blessing. I told my wife last night, I said, only the, when we get to heaven will we really see what was accomplished in some of these meetings and, and how God blessed and the souls that were saved. And uh, you say, well, we don't see them in church and we don't see this and we don't see that. That's true, but that does not mean that God's word does not work. So we pray and, and leave it with God. All right, we're over in the book of Psalms, chapter 37. We've got this week and next week. And then we go back to our, our normal classes, and Preacher will be teaching, and I'll be teaching my class. So we've got one more, one more week of, of the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms 36, these, these, these last few Psalms that we've taught have really been, they've been a blessing to me. I just, as a lot of times you go through the Psalms and you read them and, and you really don't spend time in them and you really don't dissect them and, and really look at, at what God's saying here and, and as a writer writes. And uh, as we go through and we really study them, it, it makes them come so alive to us as, as uh, God's children. And there's so much in these psalms. Uh, David's the writer, and, and uh, he, just, he just pours his heart out in them. And, and it's, a, it's a blessing to me to, to be able to, to read them and study them and then to teach them. Psalms 36. Uh, a couple of things. Then I've got Jason. He's going to come and read a, a, some facts for us about, about a, a part of this that we're going to look at. God made our bodies up of water. Uh, about 70% of, of our body is made out of water. And uh, it's, it's amazing we cannot live without water. We, uh, we can go quite a little time without food, but without water, it's, it's, it's really hard. I know when I was young and really dumb, uh, I took off and went to California and lived in California for a while. And uh, we got the bright idea that we'd work in the, the fields, me and this guy that was with me. So we didn't have any sense, and so we went out, and we got a job, and they hired us right off. And, and uh, so we were working, and now we were out by Bakersfield, just outside Bakersfield, out in the desert. And it was hot. It was like 125, 130 degrees. Well, we didn't have any sense. We're from Michigan. We're from cold. We don't know. So we're out there, and we're working. And the first day, we didn't bring any water. We didn't bring anything. We about died. It was so bad that I was laying in the irrigation ditches drinking the water. I mean, we thought we were literally going to die. And uh, how thirsty we got. And God, God's that way. God made us up that way. But God made us up also for spiritual water. He put a desire in our heart, saved, for spiritual water. And I, and I hate to say this, but it's so true. So many of God's children are dying of thirst spiritually. They've got the living water. And we're going to look at that today, but they're dying spiritually of thirst. Let's look, read, we'll read here in, in these 12 verses, and then I'm going to have Jason come up. Let me pass out some, let me pass out some readings first. Uh, Brother Bob, if you'll turn over to John 4, 9 through 15. Uh, Brother, uh, all right, Sister Gloria, if you'll turn over to Romans 9, or 3, 9 through 20, 10 verses for you. And then stay there because then I've got a couple other verses I want you to read. Uh, 
let's see, Brother Ken Beeman, would you turn over to uh, Job 28, 28? Uh, Brother Mark, if you'll turn over to Luke 13, 34. And then uh, Mrs. Copy, if you'll turn over to 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Probably Mrs. Copy, we will not get to you, but we'll go there anyway. All right. Here we are in, in, in on Psalms 36. Let's read it. The transgression of the wicked saith within his heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. He flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He, hate, he hath left off to be wise and to do good. He, deceiveth, he deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Thy, full, thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are, are great deep. O Lord, thy preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasure. For with thee is a fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know ye, and thy righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of the proud Pride come, let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are there are the wicked workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not abide uh, able to ride. Rise. Okay, we're talking here, and in verse 9 is where we get the title of this. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see see light. Brother Jason, come here. And I want him to read this in just a second. Read for me over in John 4, 9 through 15, please, Brother Bob. Okay, according to that scripture, who's the living water? Jesus. He says, if you drink of me, you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. All right, it's a constant flowing river that comes from him that will never thirst again. If we drink of this physical water that runs out of the tap or we pull out of the well, will we thirst again? Constantly. It's a constantly thing. 
Okay, so remember that as we talk about this. I got Jason. I want him to read this. It talks about, it's pretty graphic. It talks about a man dying of thirst. Read it for me, brother. Historian Nathaniel Philbrick meticulously researched the experience of extreme water depravation deprivation for this book in the heart of the sea. The true story of shipwrecks, whalers, many of whom died of thirst. In 1906, W.J. McGee, director of the St. Louis Public Museum, published one of the most detailed and graphic description of the ravenous and extreme dehydration ever recorded. McGee accounted, McGee's account was based on the experiences of Pablo Valencia, a 40-year-old sailor turned prospector who survived almost seven days in the Arizona desert without water. Saliva becomes thick and foul-tasting. The tongue clings, irritating to the teeth and the roof of the mouth. A lump seems to form in the throat. Severe pain is felt in the head and neck. The face feels full due to the shrinking of the skin. Hearing is affected and many people become hallucinating. Then Allegonies of, agonies of the mouth has, uh, that has ceased to generate saliva. The tongue hardens into what McGee describes as a senseless weight swinging on a still soft root and strikingly foreignly uh, against the teeth. Speech becomes impossible, although sufferers have been known to moan and bellow. Next, the blood sweats phase, the blood sweats phase, involving a progressive mummification of an initially living body. The tongue swells into such proportion that it squeezes past the jaws. The eyelids crack and the eyeballs begin to weep tears of blood. The throat is so swollen that breathing becomes difficult, creating a terrifying sense of drowning. Finally, there is the living death, the state into which Pablo Valencia had entered when McGee discovered him in the desert trail, crawling on his hands and knees. His lips had disappeared as if amputated, leaving now edges of blackened tissue, his teeth and gums projected like those of a skinned animal. But the flesh was black and dry as a hank of jerky. His nose was withered and shrunken to half its length, and the nostril lining now showing black. His eyes were set into a winkless stare, without surrounding skin so contracted as to exposure of connectiva. <laughs> Itself as black as gums. His skin had generally turned ghastly purplish, yet ashen gray, with great livid blotches and streaks his lower legs and feet were torn and scraped by contact with thorns and sharp rocks. Yet even the freshest cuts were so many scratches in dry leather without a trace of blood. This is a man that spent days in the desert with no water. But now look at this. Think of that man. Just as people are dying of thirst of water... People are dying of spiritual thirst. Just think how we must appear as we neglect God and his living water. How we as parched souls look 
to our Heavenly Father. How long's it been since you've been to that fountain? How long's it been since you've desired that water? How long has it been? How thirsty are you? A lot of times we go to it and we look at it and we drink of it. If I had five chocolate shakes up here and I said, I'm giving out these chocolate shakes. One of them, there's something a little different about it. And I have Brother Jason and Brother Bob and Brother uh, uh, Mike and Brother John. These guys stand up and I give out, and Brother Rick, and I give out these shakes. Now, as I give them out and I hand them out, what are they going to taste like? Brother John, what's it going to taste like? Chocolate shake. You know what a chocolate shake tastes like, right? You know it. All right, if I give out these chocolate shakes, and I said one of them has got something different in it, I've taken and dumped a pound of salt in that chocolate shake. What's it going to taste like? Salt. It's not going to taste good. That's what happens to us so many times. We go to the well, we go to the fountain, and a lot of us drink from it. But so many times... We've got a, so much of the world in us. When we go to that fountain, we've got all the world in us, and we look at the water, and we take a sip of it, and we say, it doesn't taste good. There's something about it. It's not right. It's not the water. It's us. It's what we have in us that makes the water taste bad. You know why? Because sin can't be where righteousness is. Sin can't be there. Just as the salt in the shake would make the shake taste bad, sin, when we go to the water of God and we start to drink from it, we look at it and we, we, we bend over and we, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. It's not that the water's bad, it's what's in us is bad. We've got to get the sin out of our life. We've got to get the sin out of us. And, and, and so as we look at this, it's so important that we, that we realize this. The more deeply we drink of the water of the fountain of life, the more satisfying the Christian life is. The deeper we go, the more we get in it, the more we, we dwell in it, the more we wait in it, the more we waller in it, the sweeter and the more satisfying it is. You know what happens so many times? We go to the well and we bend over and we take a little drink. Oh, that's, I don't want that. I don't want that. And we back up and we, we walk away from it. That's not what I want. I want to get in it. I want to waller in it. I want to get in it and have it flow all over me 24-7. I want to be there. You say you can't do that. According to my Bible, I can dwell in that fountain if I keep sin and I keep my life the way it should. Look over at Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. Very interesting verse. He writes here, and it's written to God's people because look what it says. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of the living water, and they have hewed out them cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. He says, my people, I am the living water. They've created two evils here. Two evils. They don't come to me. And then what they've done is they've hewed out cisterns, things to hold water, that's not my water. 
They've taken the devil's water and the devil's tried to t- sell them this goods that what is, it's all right to live and to do the, all these things. According to the Bible, it's wrong. We look at it, it's so important that we keep our lives so clean and so pure before God. It's so important. And the devil comes in, he says, that's all right, you can watch that on TV. That's all right, you can read that. That's all right, you can go to the internet. That's all right, you can do this. You can do that. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to do all these things. He gives us all kinds of broken cisterns. They don't hold anything. And we're not satisfied. This is God's children. This is not the lost. This is us. And we say, why aren't I growing in God? Where are you at? Where are you drinking? Where are you drinking? It doesn't satisfy. All these things in the world that you say, Brother Chuck, we're saved. I'm not asking you if you're saved. I'm telling you as Christians, where we live 99% of the time, we live out here in the world, we run with the world, we smell the world, we taste the world, and we like it. And so we've got all this world in us, and God says, I want you to drink from my fountain. I want you spiritually drinking. And we say, I don't like that taste. Because it's holy. It's godly. It's pure. And by doing it, we've got to get all this garbage out of our life. So we don't drink from it. So I ask you, where are you drinking today? What are you drinking of today? Where are you drinking today? What's going on in your life? We're going to look at this real quick. We're going to go through these first four verses of of chapter 36 in the book of Psalms. And the first four verses deal with the sinner. And it talks about the sinner. And David writes this, but look, it's it's looking at from the sinner's point of view. The transgression of the wicked saith within, within my heart. This is what the sinner says. That there is no fear of God before his eyes. You talk to most people that are lost. They don't fear God. You know the bad thing is? We as Christians don't fear God. We don't have a godly fear. The lost look at it and say, I don't care what God says. It doesn't matter. I know when I was lost, I didn't care. I didn't worry whether God, I feared God. And I didn't think about it. It didn't matter to me. I did what I wanted to do. They have no fear of God, it says. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. They flatter themselves in their own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Their attitude, their thought life, everything about them is wrong, is wicked, is wicked. The bad thing is a lot of God's people are that way, are that way. The word of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. Those two dogs run together. I don't care where you're at. They run together. Iniquity and deceit. They're always together. You're not going to be, you're not going to separate them. They're together. They're part of a pair and they run together. And they, look what it says. It says, and their mouth of iniquity and deceit and they left off unto be wise and to be good. To be wise and to be good. Read for me over in Job, please. 28, 28. Wisdom. To depart from it. Who's got Romans uh, 3, 9 through 20? Read for me, Sister Gloria. Their throat is an open sepulchre, with their tongues they have used to speak. The poison of ash is under their lips, 
Hang on right there, Sister Gloria. I got two more verses I want you to read. The, the, the sinner says, I'm doing nothing wrong. I'm hurting nobody. I'm harming nobody. What I do is, is my business. Read for me verses uh, 3 and then read for me verses, uh, or rather verse 10 and verse 13. The gavel has fallen. It's done. Judgment's been pronounced. The lost man is going to go to hell. It's, 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 it's set that way. It's done. There's no way out of it other than salvation. They look at it and they say, I have no fear of God. I'm not worried about it. I'm not, this, you know, it doesn't bother me. I have no wisdom. And it says, it says no fear. And if you look at no fear and then go back up to verse 1, and what does it say in verse 1? It says, I have no wisdom because I have no fear of God. Fear is beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. So the lost, they don't know. So when you deal with a lost person, you've got to realize where he's at and what's going on in him. He, he doesn't understand this Bible. Last night when Brother Gomez preached, we had those, those people raise their hand. I'm sure there was a lot of people that were there last night that didn't really understand what was being said. They didn't, they didn't comprehend. I'm sure some of them that raised their hand didn't really comprehend what was being said and being asked of them. But God says in his book, in, in the book here, it says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. All right, let's back up. Let's go to verse, verse 4 first. He deceiveth his mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. That's the wicked man. The wicked man does that. So we understand the sinner. And this is written from the perspective of the sinner. They understand that. That's where they are. But look at verse 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heaven. God says as the Savior, I produce and show you my mercy. As we look to the heaven, it's a sign of God's mercy. So as we look up and we see the blue skies or we see the gray skies or whatever, it's a sign to us of God's mercy. What's God's mercy? What is it? Come on. Not getting what we deserve. God's mercy. So as we look up to the heavens, we see that. We say God's mercy. God's mercy, it's out there for us all to see, is in the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches under the clouds. You ever see the clouds? When we see the clouds, David says, as I'm writing this, I see God's mercy in the heaven. As I look at the clouds float by, I see what? What does he see? He says, I see the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness and God's mercy. So as we look up into heaven, as we see that, it covers us all. It, we all can see it. We all can understand that. He's writing this so we all can understand what God says here about our Savior. All right. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches into the clouds. Then look what he says in verse 6. Thy righteousness is like great mountains. Think of that. When we look at the mountains, and I've seen the Smoky Mountains, and I've been out west and seen the, uh, the, the Rocky Mountains, and I've seen that. And when we look at the mountains, it ought to bring it to our mind. God, look what God did. God, God made these. And it represents his righteousness. 
God's righteousness. All of us have the things to deal with in our lives every day. We either do it by faith and by trusting God and through his righteousness, or we do it on our own and try to get by. God says, I'm there. God says, I know what you're going through. God says, I understand where you're at. Uh, the Hensons, Brother Micah passing. I'm sure that there's been a time somewhere that they've thought in their mind how will we go on. Their ministry. Micah was such a great part of it, big part of it. How will we go on? How will we go forward? It's God's righteousness. Brother Gomez preached last night with his son in the, auto, in the motorcycle accident and his wife passing. I'm sure, how do we go on? It's all God's righteousness. It's all God. It's not us. It's that, it's that grace that we draw on when things are that way. It's God's grace moving in and touching us and holding us so close that we've never felt that before. You say, I've never felt that. You've never gone through that. I don't, I don't know Brother Gomez's is, is heart. I never lost my wife. I've never had one of my kids in an accident like that. I don't know what Brother Roger and them's going through. I've never lost a son. Never. I don't know. But I know God's grace, according to this Bible, is sufficient. It'll get you through it. I don't know how. I don't know what all it does. But I know it does. Because I've witnessed it in others' lives. And I'm so thankful for it. God says here is my righteousness is great mountains. Thy judgment is, is a great deep. The great deep. Think of that. Ocean. Ocean averages 12,460 feet. That's the average ocean bottom. There's one place in the ocean. It's called Challenger's Deep. That's 36,200 feet deep. Now, imagine that. You could take Mount Everest, drop it in the bottom of it, and you'd still have a mile of water over the top of it. That's a lot of deepness. That's God. God says, my judgments are great deep. So as we look at the universe and as we look at the world around us and we look at this, we can see God in all of this, David says. David writes here and he says, my judgments are great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. To me, that is one of the greatest blessings that you, 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 we read over it and we really don't understand it. It says he preserves man and beast. All right, we see man. Man's a living soul. God breathed in us. We understand that. We're pretty popular of ourselves. But think of the beast. What does the Bible say about a sparrow? What does it say? If it falls, he knows it. He keeps his hand on it. He knows what's going on. Just think of that. He takes care of man, but he also is concerned about the animals. God created them. God just didn't create them and throw them out there and say, you're on your own. God says, I take care of them. I provide for them. If he thinks that much about the animals, how much more does he think of his children? How much more does he care about us? How much more will he do for us? If you'll do that for the animals, where are we at? What are we thinking about? And it says down here, Oh, excellent is thy, is thy loving kindness, O God. Look at that. 
How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God? Explanation point, preacher. Therefore the children of man put their trust under the shadow of his wings. His loving kindness. Think of that. Think of God's love. Think of God's mercy. Think of God's grace. As Christ hung on the cross and as he bled and as he was beaten and as he was tortured, it was for me. He loved me that much. He loved me that much. His loving kindness. His greatness. How, oh, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O oh God. Therefore the children of man put their trust. Therefore the children of man put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. When else did Jesus say that kind of, that kind of a saying? Remember when he stood at Jerusalem? Jesus stood out there and he looked at the city and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would have pulled you all together. I would have done to you as a mother hen does to her chicks and put you under my wings for protection. The safest place you can ever be. I read an account one time that there was a uh, tornado down in, in uh, the farmlands down south and they found this old hen. She was battered, she was bruised, and she was dead. And she was sitting real tight in a corner of a fence. And the farmer went out and kicked her to make sure she was dead. And out from underneath her ran 12 little chicks. They survived what went on. God says, if you're under my wings, there's nothing that can harm you. Nothing. David writes this and he writes it and he says, God is so loving and God is so merciful and God is so gracious and God is so loving. God loves us. God cares for us. And then look what he says down here. Like I said, we're not going to get through this. In verse, in, in verse 9, well, let's look at verse 8. For thy, for thy abundance satisfy, satisfied with the fatness of thy house. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of my house. They shall make unto them a, a drink of the, they shall make, take, make unto them a drink of living of the river of thy pleasure. For with thee is a fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. So much there. God says that there's nothing we, we need that he doesn't have. Look at that. It says he wants us to be abundantly satisfied. He doesn't want us to be a little satisfied. He wants us to be abundantly satisfied. He wants our hearts to be full. He wants us to be full. How do we get full? Look at, look at verse 9. For with thee is a fountain of life. That's where we drink from. That's where we go to. As this dying man that Jason read about, as his body turned to leather, as his tongue swelled, as he didn't bleed anymore, as he was not humanly recognizable as really a man, that's the way we are. God says, I've given you this fountain. It flows freely. It's not a cup. It's not a bowl. It's not a, 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 a brook. It's not a, 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 a little cistern. It's a river. It's a river that flows for us to be in, for us to be satisfied in. 
And look what it says in verse 9. For with thee the fountain of life, in thy light shall ye see light. Now you read that and you think, what in the world is he talking about there? In our light we shall see light. Who are we going to see? Jesus Christ. Christ is our light. He is the light that we see. He is the vision that we have. He is the one. The Bible says that he, he, he lights our path. He lights it as we walk. We don't walk in darkness as the world walks. We walk in the light of his word. We drink from his fountain. We waller in his fountain. Let me ask you, how long has it been since you had the light? And how long has it been since you wallered in the fountain? How long? We're God's children. God says, I want you to be abundantly satisfied. I want you to be so happy. I tell my wife every night we get in bed. And I kiss her goodnight. And I say, this is the happiest place on this earth for me right now. I am the safest, the comfortablest. Why? Because it's with the one I love the most here. Do I say that to God? When I get with God, do I say, God, I'm the happiest I can be right now. With you in, my, in the word of God and on my knees and praying and, and loving you. Am I satisfied? I think a lot of us Christians go through life and we're not satisfied. We look at it. We're drinking the shake with the salt in it. We've got sin in our lives. We've got things in our lives that, that God says, I want you to get out. I want you to be satisfied. I want you to walk with me. And we say, nah, that's a little too much. Preacher says, I want you to, I, want, I need teachers. And we say, okay. And, and we, we got standards. And we say, well, this is what I want you to do. And this is what I don't want you to do. To be a teacher. And we say, uh-uh, that's not for me. I'm not doing that. I'm not living that kind of a separated life. We're not drinking from the fountain. Because if you're drinking from the fountain, when he says, I need you, say, here am I. Send me. Let me go. Let me do. Let me be part. We need somebody to pick up paper. Yeah, I'll do it. We need somebody to clean toilets. Yeah, let me do it. You know what? We're not drinking from that fountain. We're not being satisfied. We're looking for what man's got and what man wants. A lot, in this, a lot in this chapter. God gives us a lot here. We don't have time to do it all. We don't have time. But let me ask you again. Where are you drinking from? What fountain are you drinking from? Are you satisfied? Do you see God's love? Do you see his mercy? Do you understand it? Or are you just standing on the outside looking in? I'm afraid that's where a lot of us are. Let's have a word of prayer.